morning. Praise God. His love never fails. It never runs out. It never, ever gives up. Oh, look, I got a word for us today. Here's the word. Are you ready for this? Enjoy this moment. Be here today. We come from a lot. We came from all kinds of stuff. We, you know, if you're like me, you drove in here on two wheels, and I was pretty impressed with that, by the way. But we're here today. Enjoy this moment. Be right here. Soak it up. Let the Lord speak to you through His Scriptures. Let the Holy Spirit speak into your life through the preaching from our pastor and from our worship team here. Love it. Enjoy it. Because this moment won't last forever. But while we got it, let's live it. We're here today. It is grace that we can do these things. We have not earned it. We have not worked hard enough. We have not bought it. It's grace. Love. Love gives grace. Jesus, we give you permission. We give you permission to change our lives today. Lord, it is by your grace that this happens. Lord, I pray that for the rest of this service, we're all in. We're all here. And we're yours. Amen.
not so grateful to have a Savior who was willing to lay down his life and die for us? I was thinking this morning, many religions in the world, many gods, little G's, require that a person would die for that God. And when you go to Peru, one of the big things from the Incas was sacrificial worship, human sacrifice. I'm so glad that we have a Savior who said, you don't have to give your life. You don't have to sacrifice your children. Because I'm going to give my life. I'm going to lay down my life that you might have victory. Jesus assembled with his 12 disciples, broke bread with them. He said, guys, you've been celebrating the Passover for years and years and years. He said, but this is the last one that I'll celebrate with you here. Next time we partake of the bread and drink of the cup, it'll be in heaven. He said, but today, this isn't about the blood on the doorpost. It's about the spirit in your heart. And Jesus, Jesus gave him a new commandment. And he took that bread and he broke it. He said, I love you enough that my life is going to be broken for you. This bread is not just symbolic of what happened in the lives of your ancestors, but it's about what's going to happen tomorrow. What's going to happen this week when all of history changes. Jesus said, this is my body, which was broken for you. Take and eat the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he said, this cup, this cup is uh, symbolic of my blood that will flow down Calvary's hill, Calvary's cross for you. My blood will be spilled upon the ground. That where the blood hits the ground, hope springs up. Hope springs up for the hopeless. Hope springs up for the damned. Hope springs up for those who are heavy laden and think my life's been this way too long. Hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. The Bible says in Hebrews that almost all things are cleansed by blood and without the shedding of blood there'd be no remission of sin. God gave up His very best shed his blood that we might be free. Take and drink the cup of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the cup. Thank you for your body. Thank you, Lord, that we're not just looking behind us. But your word says that every time we gather together and keep this ordinance, Lord, that we look ahead to your return. God, I'm so thankful that today, with all that's going on in the world, even the unbelievers, even the world, even the news, they're all talking about what's going to happen, what's going to happen, the return of Christ. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you are not slack concerning your promises. But Lord, one day, you will bring us to be where you are. 
Lord, whether that be by the death or the rapture, either way, God, to be in your presence is all that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hope is built not on religion, but on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he became the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone the builders rejected. I'm not talking about building on religion. I'm not talking about building on man-made denomination. I'm not talking about building on man-made ideology. I'm talking about building on the body and the precious sacrifice of our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Worship with us today as we sing. Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. And righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, we made strong in the same. Changing grace. 
Father God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you're doing, God. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that, God, you speak to our hearts today. Lord, that you, God, help us to be encouraged, help us to be strengthened. God, I pray for anybody that walked in here in the middle of a storm today. That God, their life would be so transformed in this service by the power of your resurrection. I pray, Lord, that they would realize that their lifeline is tied off to your throne, Lord. And that, God, we can weather any storm that comes against us. Now, Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you for who you are, for what you're going to do in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated today, church. Wow, amen. Thank the Lord Jesus for what he's up to in our hearts and our lives. We are on our third sermon today, on our new sermon series, I Need to Change. I want to encourage you that uh, if you would like to have one of these t-shirts, please see Ashley. Let her know what size you need. They're about 10 bucks. It's good to wear around town. Great conversation starter. I need to change. What do you need to change? Well, whatever it is that God's speaking to your heart. Thank you for those who have been obedient and uh, you, you felt led to fill out the cards for the first week, second week. I want you to know they're, they're pinned up on the board. They're written on the banner. And, and uh, man, we're praying for those. We're praying for those each and every, well, just about every day here at the church. So praise the Lord for you doing that. God is really up to some cool stuff in our family, and uh, we have a lot of great opportunities that are happening. Thank you for what you're doing to help make that possible. Uh, man, um, our Facebook traffic is up. It's, it's great what's happening there. You're sending your friends to that, those sites, and uh, man, our streaming, our streaming opportunities, people watching online, that's, that's up. That's, that's, that's up considerably what it was, and and, uh, man, you're all part of that. You're all part of what God is, God is doing. God is doing in our hearts, in our lives. We had an interesting opportunity happen this week in our family. We were having staff meeting on Monday morning, and a young man stopped by, and on the way out, Ashley said, this guy wants you to call him. He's, uh, he's from the uh, TV station. I thought, well, man, I don't, 
I don't have any money for advertising, so there's no need for me to call him back. So he was very persistent and uh, called back just about every day. And so finally, Ashley said, you really need to call this guy back. I don't think he'll leave you alone. And so I did, met with him on Wednesday, and he said, uh, Pastor, he said, I was, I was down the street here buying a, an RV, and he said, I passed by and I saw your church. And I thought, wow, that's a peculiar-looking church. And I thought, well, praise the Lord. That's a, that, we have accomplished our task. And uh, so he began to talk about that and how the building just really intrigued him. So he went back and, and he looked it up online and saw our streaming and our services. And uh, he showed up and he said, man, he said, uh, I'm with a new TV station on the uh, television. And he said, he said, I want to I wanna put your church on, on, uh, the, on our channel. And I thought, wow, well... You know, good. that's good news. I appreciate you thinking that much of what we're trying to do. And uh, I said, dude, we, you know, we, 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 we ain't got no money for that, you know. He said, well, I'll make you a deal. Boy, you always have to be nervous when they say, let's make a deal. Amen. And uh, so he said, if, I'll put you on there for uh, your service each week for $50. And he said, uh, better than that, he said, matter of fact, if you can find somebody in your church who wants to underwrite it, they can have the free commercial spot is sponsoring that and uh so man i thought well lord i don't know what you're up to i got more than i can handle now and you know we've been if if you have been trying to follow our streaming you know that has been a difficult challenge and and uh that has not gone without its hiccups and so i was like lord you you promised us in january that if we went deep you would take us wide so i'm just going to follow you and try to see what you're up to and so by the end of the next day already had two businesses that said they would sponsor it. And so uh, we're praying, if the Lord wants that to happen, that he'll raise up the sponsors, amen, and uh, we'll see what he's up to. So uh, you be in prayer about that, that we'll follow the direction of the Lord, that we won't get out where we don't need to be, but we'll be right where he wants us to be. So anyway, it's kind of like I felt a little bit like uh, like Moses. I was over there minding my own business, and uh, there God came and said, I want to do something different, Amen. And so, uh, anyway, you be praying for that. The Lord has just really been blessing. It would be uh, in about five different cities uh, all around central Louisiana. And uh, so, you just ask the Lord to direct us with that opportunity. If you have your Bible today, if you'll take it and turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 31. Genesis, chapter 31, and we'll be in chapter 32. We're going to cover a lot of territory this morning. And so, I want you to stay with me, if you will. We have three points to make, but they're in a lot of Scripture. So uh, we have been looking at the sermon series on I Need to Change. And that started out with understanding where we were. Were we in the perfect will of God, the persuasive will of God, or the permissive will of God? And we looked how in the life life of Jacob, he found himself in the perfect, persuasive, and permissive will of God. Just like that. And it's very easy for each one of us to be there. Now, remember that it, but I use the word perfect to, to symbolize it's what you were designed for. It's what you were destined for. doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean you're not going to lose your temper if you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God created you for a purpose and that you are doing what he created you for and not something else. Not, you're, you're not off doing something else that's crazy you know I mean here's a good example you know you know what would look crazy is if I decided to use my shoes for gloves to keep my hands warm now why would that be crazy because that's not what my shoes were set aside to do I mean you don't think anything at all when somebody walks up to you with no with a pair of shoes on 
But let them walk up to you with a pair of shoes on their hands. And you're going to say, okay, that, 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 that dude's got problems. Amen? And so uh, when we're not doing what we were designed to do, we're not being what God called us to be, and we're not happy. We're wishing our life away. We looked at that. We're going to work on Monday saying, is it Friday yet? Amen? And then we looked last week at how that it's a process and how when God begins to move us, we looked at the life of Jacob and how God came to him in that foreign land. He had been there for almost 20 years. God came to him and said, Jacob, son, this isn't where I designed you to be. Now, you've, I've permitted you to be here, and you've got a family now, and you've been blessed, and all that's been going well. And he said, but now, son, why don't you get to where you were destined to be? That was to be the leader of the nation of Israel. That was to be in the promised land. Not over here living in some foreign... Son, you should not be a stranger in a foreign land. I have a land that you're supposed to rule over. And so Jacob began to start that journey. And so that's where we take up today in Genesis chapter 31. You remember he gathered up his family. He left off last week. And man, in chapter, 20, chapter, uh, chapter 31 and verse 22, here's what we see. It says, on the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he took his relatives and pursued Jacob for seven days and overtook him. But God came to Laban in a dream at night, and he said, Watch yourself. Watch your back. Don't you mess with Jacob. Don't say anything to him. Don't say good things. Don't say bad things. When Laban overtook Jacob, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country. And Laban had pitched his tent there also not far away. Verse 26 says, Then Laban said to Jacob, Son, what have you done? What have you done? Why have you deceived me and taken my daughters away like prisoners of war? Why did you secretly free from me, deceive me, and not tell me I would have... If you'd have told me, I'd have sent you away, man, with joy and singing and tambourines. But you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren. Oh, man. Boy, can you grandparents say amen? Well, mercy. Messing with his grandkids. You know how grand they are? If you could have had them first, you'd have never had kids. That's what I had a couple of grandparents tell me, amen? And so my mom's giving me the thumbs up, amen. <clears throat> you know why? It's like one old man told me, he said, man, I've been all around the world. He said, I've seen the lights of Paris, I've seen the lights of Rome, but the best lights I've ever seen is when those children come take those grandkids home. It's because they can go home, amen? Uh, I digress, amen. That's why they're grand, amen? <laughs> all right, let's, sorry about that. Move along. All right. I could do you great harm, but last night the Lord came to me, and he said, man, don't you mess with Jacob. Look at verse 30. Now you have gone off because you long for your father, but why did you steal my gods? Why did you steal my gods? Look at that in verse 30. Why did you steal my gods? So basically, we get to the heart of the matter. It's one thing for you to take my kids, my daughters. It's one thing for you to take my grandkids, but dude, you're messing with my gods. Now, let me just say something today. If the God that you are serving is so small and you can put him on a shelf in your house, you need to upgrade. If the God that you're serving is so small that you can take a spotlight and shine it on him, you need to upgrade. You need an omnipotent God who is bigger than your house, bigger than your world. Amen? Uh, I saw, uh, I think it was Brother Allen posted something on Facebook, and uh, it was a wonderful picture of sunset. And it's just like, wow, my God made this. And I was like, wow, and he's holding me in his hands too. I mean, that's the kind of God you need to serve. I mean, I, I would just trade in some little old dinky God that doesn't have any power or any ability to just, all he does is sit on your shelf. 
And so he's like, man, you stole my God. So we get to the heart of the matter. Jacob answered and said, I was afraid. I thought that you would take your daughters by force. For in verse 32, if you find your gods here with me, whoever took them, let him not live. Before our relatives, we make this point. Well, Jacob did not know at the end of verse 32 that Rachel had stolen those little gods. Verse 33, so Laban went into Jacob's tent, went into Leah's tent, and went into the female slave's tent, and he found nothing. Then when he went into Rachel's tent, he looked, and there she was. In verse 34, now Rachel had taken Laban's household idols, put them in her saddlebag of her camel, and she sat on them. Laban searched the whole tent, but he found nothing. Verse 35, then she said to her father, Sir, do not be afraid or angry that I cannot stand up in your presence, for I'm having my monthly period. So Laban searched, and he could not find the household idols. And then in verse 36, Jacob began to get a little aggravated. And he says, what are you doing? Have you called me out here in the middle of nowhere? Look at this in verse 36. Have you brought these charges against me? What crime have I committed that you pursue me like a criminal, he said? What is my sin that you have pursued me? You have searched all my possessions and found nothing. Now, let's make this right in front of our family. In front of our family, the family that you brought out here, let's make this right. I'm not reading that. I'm summarizing it for the sake of time. Now skip with me if you would into verse 41. Jacob says, for 20 years I have worked for your household, 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flocks, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Verse 42, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been with me, certainly now you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my affliction and my hard work, and he has issued his verdict last night. Then Laban answered Jacob, and he said, The daughters are my daughters, the sons are my sons, the flocks are my flocks, everything you see is mine. Boy, doesn't that sound like a little temper tantrum? And so he goes on and says, But what can I do today for these daughters of mine or for the children that you have born? Come now, let us make a covenant. Verse 45, so Jacob picked out a stone, set it up as a marker. Then Jacob said in the front of his relatives, gather stones. And they took stones and they made a mound and they ate there. And at that mound, Laban made the mound. And Jacob named it Galilee. And then Laban said, the mound is a witness between me and you today. Therefore, the, this place is also called Mizpah, for it is a watchtower between me and you. May the Lord watch between me and you. And when you are out of each other's sight, if you mistreat my daughters or other wives, though no one is with us, understand that God will be a witness between me and you. And so, man, they set up this covenant. And so here's what I want you to understand. Last week, things began to get really real around here, really real. You know, first week we had you fill out the card, put on there, whether you're in the which, which category of the will of God do you find yourself in. And you put that on there, and, man, uh, that's... What, you just moved, and we had those, and people have been coming to the building. They've been praying over those names, or, or where you're, not the names, but what, what was symbolic in the foyer. Then last week, we had you come and put down what it was the Holy Spirit was speaking to you about changing. And man, you were fired up. I mean, a lot of you were probably fired up, and you were ready to charge hell with a broken water pistol. Amen? I mean, that's how it is when you're in the presence of a holy God, and the Holy Spirit's moving. And then all of a sudden, man, boom! I mean, Monday morning, there it was. 
I mean, a spiritual assault. You didn't see it coming. You didn't know where it was coming from, but it was just like that. And then all week, you may have been walking through adversity and walking through hardships. I mean, that's what happened in the life of Jacob. Jacob was minding his own business, doing what he always would do. And then the whole, God came to him and said, son, you've been here too long. You've been in this foreign land too long. Why don't you go back to what you were destined to be? Why don't you go back to what I designed you to be? And so, man, we began to look at that, and he began to move out. But as he began to move out, here's what else began to happen. God began to move. And as he began to move, he was moving his geographic location, but God wasn't necessarily just interested in his geographical location, but he was interested on what was happening in the inside. You see, when God wants to do the greatest work, he doesn't start on the outside, but he does the greatest work from the inside out. From the inside out. I mean, when you look at this jacket that I have on, you see a jacket. You see a nice put-together jacket. It seems pretty flawless. But if you look at the inside, it's where the stitching is. The thing that holds it together is on the inside. If I took it and turned it inside out and wore it, you would say, good gracious, that looks crazy. But it's the stitching that holds it together. And what holds us together is not on the outside, but it's on the inside of us. And what God is wanting to do in our hearts and our lives is take you to the what you were destined to be. God's not just trying to shake things up in your life. You're not just trying to change to change. But what you are doing is God is transforming you from the inside out. And that's where his great grace begins to be multiplied. The only problem is that when God begins to move us on the outside, it's pretty easy sometimes. But when he begins to move on the inside, uh-oh. It's when he begins to want to go into that, that secret closet back there. You know the one that nobody goes in? The thing that you keep your secrets locked up in? God goes in there and he wants to begin to move. And so we see that Jacob was on the move physically. The change had begun. He had began the process of the change. But now today God says, son, I don't want it to be just about your feet. I want it to be about your heart. Because your heart has some things it needs to deal with. Matter of fact, Jacob listed them right here. He got his father-in-law and he said, let me tell you something, my father-in-law. He says, you have cheated me. You cheated me out of my wife. I had to work seven more years. You cheated me out of my livestock. Matter of fact, if somebody came in the middle of the night and stole an animal, it was taken from my herd. If somebody came in the broad daylight and stole an animal, it was taken from my herd. If, some, if an animal came and devoured one of the other animals, it was taken from my herd. You have lost nothing in 20 years. I have paid the price. Do you see some pinned up frustration? And so all of a sudden, God begins to deal with Jacob. And before Jacob could get to the, the place where God promised him to be, which is what we're going to look at next week, when he goes back to that holy spot, back to that special place, back to the place that he was destined to be, God comes and says, hey man, you've got to deal with the situation with people who have done you wrong. Now understand that Jacob had done not, any, not much wrong or any wrong with his father-in-law. But God says, Jacob, it's not about what, who's done you wrong, but it's about, I mean, who you've done wrong, but it's about those that have done you wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but it's easier for me to deal with forgiveness when I have been the offender. But I'm going to tell you something. It's hard. It's hard when I am the offended. 
And God says, now you need to deal with that. In the course of my life, I had, had found many difficulties and many difficult situations. And I had found people who, have, who had taken advantage of me. I had found people who had taken advantage of the church that I was part of. People who had betrayed me. Uh, people who had abandoned me. And all these things. And in my heart and my life, I came to the place and I said, Lord, I forgive them. And boy, I was doing good. And God was letting me cruise along in life and great things were happening. And then, matter of fact, it was when, when Charles Simpson was here. They Remember we had Charles Simpson here about a year and a half ago? And all of a sudden I was moving along. And then, and then all of a sudden, man, God spoke to my heart. And he said, man, you got to release them. I know you've forgiven them, but you got to release them. You see, what I had was, even though I had prayed and forgiven them, and I had, I had spiritually justified that scripturally, I had forgiven them, but I had not released them. You know, like, come on, Lord, get them. Lord, I forgive them, but, you know, a little vengeance there. That, that, would, that wouldn't be bad. I couldn't pray for the Lord to bless them. And, man, God began to deal with me, and what I began to see was, in my own life, was that, even though I had forgiven them, I had a special little box that I had kept them locked up in. And I didn't want them to live under the manifold blessings of God. Because in my heart, I felt like they didn't deserve it. And they didn't. But neither did I. Neither did I. I don't deserve one stinking blessing. The only reason I get the blessings that I do is because of the grace of God that has been multiplied exceedingly and abundantly more than I could ever think or ask. And so when God began to deal with me, he said, son, you got to make that right. you got to make that right with those people. And so God came to Jacob and he said, Jacob, son, you got to make things right with your father-in-law. And what I want you to understand that when you begin to start that journey, sometimes in your life, God's going to come to you and he's going to say, son, you got to deal with this issue. You got to make this right with your family. You got to make this right with your father-in-law who had offended you, who had taken advantage of you. God didn't come to, God came to Laban and he said, you just leave that boy alone. But he didn't tell him, go ask him for his forgiveness. He came to Jacob and began to tell Jacob, you've got to release this and you've got to let it go. God's wanting to move Jacob to the next level. I want you to understand something about climbing a ladder and going to the next level. You can't do it with a lot of stuff in your hands. You can't do it with a lot of stuff in your hands. And so as we begin this process, we have to let things go. And so, man, Jacob's like, okay, Lord. <clears throat> I'm going to deal with this. He dealt with it. Him and his father-in-law made a covenant. Man, they set up a mound. It was a good moment. It was a, 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 man, he hugged those grandkids. He kissed them and all this and that. It goes along with that. And they, they set this place up and they called it Mizpah. It says it's a watchtower between Jacob and Laban and Laban and Jacob. And if we ever come past this boundary that we keep our covenant that we made between one another. I mean, a good Holy Ghost come to Jesus moment. Can you say amen to that? I mean, things are moving forward. Things are picking up. Things are going well. And then all of a sudden, Jacob goes to bed that night. Look with me if you would. He goes on, he goes the next thing. Jacob went on his way. God's angels met him. Look, chapter 32 and verse 1. And then he saw Jacob. He called this place God's camp. And then all of a sudden, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him because guess who was coming? Esau. Esau. 
I mean, Jacob's over here dealing with his father-in-law, Laban, making that right, and all of a sudden he turns around and he starts the journey, and guess who's looking at him? What I want you to understand is between, between Jacob and the promised land stood a manly man named Esau. And he's like, boy, before I can ever get to the place that God promised me to be, i got to go through Esau. Now, understand that Jacob had not seen Esau in 20 years. So, I mean, a lot can change in 20 years. Can I get a witness? I mean, if not, go home and get some pictures out and look at them. But these two men had changed from being boys to men. Jacob was no longer that little old sissy boy that was running around his mama's house doing feminine things. He had turned into a man's man. He was ruling and leading flocks. He was a herdsman. He had become a full-grown man of God. And Esau also had become, he had matured. Matter of fact, if you look at this, Jacob in the next few verses sends his servants with a package ahead of him and to, to try to find favor. And so when his servants come back, look at what he says in verse 4. It says, uh, he commanded them, uh, in chapter 32, he commanded them, sent them off with this package. Now in verse 6, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we met your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you with 400 other Esauians. They look just like him. They doesn't say that. I'm just making that up. I mean, but a disciple reproduces. The, whoever your disciple and your disciple E will look like the disciple. So I'm pretty sure that Esau, when he was recruiting his 400 men, didn't go look, looking for a bunch of Josephs. I mean, Jacobs. He was looking for strong men. Fierce men, devout men, fighting men that could protect, that could conquer, that could defend. And so, man, all of a sudden, Jacob says, oh, my goodness, 400's coming. He was greatly afraid in verse 7, and he was distressed, the Bible says. So he divided his people into two groups. Man, I've got great faith that God's going to protect me. But if he doesn't, I'm going to have two camps. Maybe he'll get just one my, my one family and think, well, Jacob hadn't done very well for himself. His family's small, and he won't know I have the other family. I'll divide them in two. My great plan B. Have you ever had a plan, plan B? It's where, you, it's where you make a safety net. Anybody can follow God with safety nets. It takes heroes of the faith to follow God in faith. Everybody talks about... Uh, Fleeces, laying out fleeces. I'm going to lay a fleece out and see if God wants me to do this. Anybody can follow signs. But it takes a different caliper of a Christian to follow faith blindly, trusting and obeying. I'd read this book one time uh, by Ron Dunn. It was Don't Just Sit There, Have Faith. And it was saying that faith is its own fleece. If you want to lay out a fleece, lay out faith. Walk in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I mean, I finished that book up, and I found myself on a bus with about 60 pastors. And they were making small talk, and all of a sudden, they started talking about their fleeces. And, uh, you know, I went to this church. Here's what I did. I laid out this sign and this and that wonder and going through that whole process. And so, man, I, I had took it about as long as I could take it, and I said, hey. I said, here's what Ron Dunn says, which if you were a Baptist preacher, then Ron Dunn would be a spiritual hero to you. Highly esteem him. And I said, Ron Dunn says, faith doesn't need a fleece. Son, you talk about a start of turmoil. 
What do you mean? What do you mean? I, I, I just read the book. I'm just telling you what he said. Anybody can follow a sign. Anybody can follow a map. Well, just about anybody. But it takes great heroes of courage, backbone, zeal, and spiritual fortitude to follow blind faith, saying, Lord, nothing in my hand I am bringing, but simply to your cross I am clinging. Lord, wherever you lead, I will follow. Though sometimes you lead through waters deep, trials fall across my way. Though sometimes the path seems rough and steep, but Lord, I see your footprints all the way. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Man, all of a sudden he had to deal with Esau. So, man, he builds up some courage. He comes up with a good plan, divides his family, and he goes to bed that night. Going to bed. Big night. Big day tomorrow. Drum roll, please. The reconnecting of the brothers 20 years later. Remember now, Esau wasn't, Esau had not offended Jacob. Jacob was the offender. Now, now the day before, he was the offended. And he had to make things right with the offender. Today now, he finds himself having to deal with being the offender. Being the deceiver. Someone once said this, that Jacob deceived to maintain the blessing or to gain the blessing. And he spent the rest of his life being deceived. The great deceiver spent the rest of his life being deceived. Deceived by his father-in-law, deceived by his family. To be deceived by his own children, all the way to his death, he found himself in a lifestyle, a lifestyle of deception. And so, man, this process is moving forward, and things are happening. And so, all of a sudden, man, he goes to bed that night. Look, if you would, in chapter thirty-two, in verse twenty-four, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip as they wrestled and dislocated his hip socket. Then he said to Jacob, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked Jacob, he replied. Verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, but it will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered and said, why do you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob named the, that place Peniel, which means I have seen God face to face. And look with me, if you would, in verse 31. Then the sun began to shine as he passed by Peniel and limping on his hip, limping on his hip. And to this day, Jews will not eat the meat. It comes from that hip area where God touched Jacob. So here's what's happening. Jacob has to deal with his father-in-law, has to deal with people who's offended him. Now he's spiritually prepared himself to deal with Esau. He goes to bed worrying about, oh my goodness, tomorrow's a big day. I got my family divided. They're in two camps. What will I do? And all of a sudden he lays down and God says, hey buddy, you and I, we got some unfinished business here. And God begins to struggle with Esau. Matter of fact, he will not let him go. <clears throat> the Bible says, 
he would not let him go. And the only way that God could break free from Esau was to strike that hip muscle. And when he struck him, God said, man, this is one tough dude. I'm telling you, this is not that same little old metrosexual boy that was 20 years ago that was running around baking cookies and making little old pots of stew. This was a man's man. He had matured. He had become a hero in the faith. He had become more than a conqueror. He had struggled with man and prevailed. And he had now struggled with God and prevailed. You know why he struggled and prevailed? Was because he had something in his life called stick He wasn't willing to give up. He wasn't willing to throw in the towel. He wasn't willing to be a quitter when times got tough. But though sometimes, though he was leading through the stormy gale, he stuck with the stuff. And now he's wrestling with God. Jacob had to deal with his father-in-law. He had to deal with his brother. And before he can ever deal with his brother, he's got to deal with God. You know why? Because God was trying to make Jacob whole inside. God cared about what was going on in that boy's heart. Oh yes, he may have matured and become a man's man, but I want you to know that when God looks inside of us, he doesn't see us as some big manly man. He sees us as the little boy that he created us to be. The little boy that he loved. The little boy that he anointed. The little boy that he had separated. The little boy that he had poured out his blessing on. And I want you to know something today. I don't care what happens to you. I don't care what the world does. You stick with the stuff. You go through the fire. You remain faithful to the call of God on your life. Don't Throw in your inheritance. Don't throw in your towel. Though people betray you, though people assail you, stick with the stuff. And I'll tell you before you make that big, long plight, God will show up again to deal with you. And Jacob had to get things right with God. And he wrestled with him, and God blessed him. He blessed him inwardly by doing a work in his life. He blessed him in his heart. He blessed him outwardly to all the nations that his name would no longer be Jacob, but he would be called Israel. And then most of all, the Bible says that when the sun began to rise, Jacob was down there by the riverbank, and when the sun began to rise, he began to limp away. God blessed him physically. And touched his body with an infirmity. And the Bible says Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life. I'm going to tell you something. And sometimes when God begins to transform us inwardly, it will transform us externally. Sometimes God will change us physically. Sometimes when you wrestle with God and you don't give up, you have scars in your life. Paul wrote it this way, I bear in my body the marks of the cross. And you know what that word marks means in the Greek? It means stigma. And you know what it meant to have a stigma in your life? It meant that you were close to the king. And I want you to know something, honey, that if you decide to be a warrior for God, a person who's on the front line making a difference for the glory of God, you will bear in your soul and in your body marks for staying close to the king. You know what the absence of marks means? The absence of conflict. means you were nowhere close. And so, man, Jacob deals with with his father-in-law. In the middle of dealing with his brother, he's got to deal with God. 
But when he deals with God, God gives him a word. He says, Jacob, son, I know everything your father-in-law has done to you. I know what happened between you and Esau. I know what happened between you and your brother-in-laws. Son, you have wrestled with man. You have struggled with man. And you prevailed every time that a man came against you. Man, you prevailed. He said, but you know what? You have wrestled with God. And you have prevailed. And I am telling you that what you need in your life more than reading tomorrow's horoscope is you need a word from God if you will get a word from God you can make it through the storms of life if you do not get a word from God your life will end up turned upside down and you will become hard-hearted you'll become calloused you'll become all things that the world portrays broken people to be God's not interested in you being broken God is interested in you being whole God's not interested in you being religious God's interested in a relationship with you. God doesn't care what your last name is. He cares that you're part of his body of Christ. And I say that to mean this. God doesn't love somebody who has a name of great significance, of great financial power, of great political power. They are no greater in God's kingdom than you are. The only difference is, are you willing to make the difference? And then, and then he got to deal with his brother. Look at chapter 33. The next day, here comes his 400 men in verse 1. But look at what verse 4 says. But Esau ran to meet him. And he hugged him. He threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. And they sat out there and they wept. When Esau looked up, and saw the women and children, he asked, are these with you? And he answered, the children God has graciously given your servant. And then they all came down and bowed down. So Esau said, what do you mean by this whole procession that I met? He said, son, I want to find favor with you. Verse 9, I have enough, my brother, Esau said. You keep what you have. Verse 10, but Jacob said, no. Please, if I have found favor with you, take this gift from my hand. For indeed, I have seen your faith, face, and it is like seeing the face of God. Jacob made things right with his father-in-law. He made things right with God. He made things right with himself. See, when, when, when Jacob had to go deal with Esau, that's what it was about. Making things right with himself. God did not want Jacob to live one more day under the curse of being a deceiver in his own heart. You know what I'm talking about. God's forgiven some of you of some of your sins, but you hadn't forgiven yourself. God, you, you bring that back up to God, he doesn't even know what you're talking about. I love that old song said, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. From the book of life, they've been blotted out. I don't remember them anymore and you bring that mess back up and we live under self-condemnation God's like I have set you free by the blood and he who the son has set free is free indeed and Jacob got to make things right with his brother well that'll bless you and making things right with his brother he was able to cross the highest mountain 
to get to the place God destined him to be. Can I ask you a question in closing? What's keeping you from what you were destined to be? What God wired you to be? What he wired you to be? What's keeping you from that? What's keeping you pinned up? What's keeping you from thriving? What's got you wishing your life away? What is it today? The last couple of weeks, we've had you write on these cards what it is, evaluating where you are spiritually, evaluating whether you were in the perfect, permissive, persuasive will of God, and then last week, writing down what God spoke to your heart that you needed to change. I told Will after I got through praying over some of those names on Monday or some of those statements on Monday that are pinned up in our foyer. I told him, I said, brother, it's getting real. People's getting honest with themselves. What is it? What is it that's holding you back? For Jacob, it was Esau. And he had to deal with forgiveness. I'm going to tell you, before you can ever really get to where God's got you, where he has you to be, you got to deal with some issues. You may have to forgive somebody who's offended you. You may have to forgive somebody that you've offended. You may have to get along with God and say, God, I am so sorry I broke your heart. I am so sorry that when times got tough, I walked out. I'm so sorry, God, that I didn't have the stickability that I needed. God, please forgive me. I don't know who it is, but this morning you may want to write what it is that's holding you back. Maybe, maybe it's somebody you need to forgive. Might be a, you might just write spouse. Don't, don't write their name down. Just write spouse. Maybe it's a mom or dad that was holding you back. Maybe it's a brother or sister that's been jealous your whole life of, of your natural talent, the things God's given you. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor you need to go ask forgive that you got annoyed with his cat and you picked it up and hauled it off to the pound. What is it today that you need God to release you from that's holding you back? What is it? What are you holding other people accountable to that's already asking for that forgiveness but you won't let it go? What is that sin that you've already asked God to forgive you of and you won't let it go. Write it down. Write it down. Why do I want you to write it down? Because this isn't pretty, but it's just like when you nauseate and you throw up. You feel better after you do. It's the beginning of the process. The second reason, because I am telling you there are people praying over these cards during the week. We're praying for the power of God in your life. We're praying for the victory of God in your life. We're praying for you to be set free. If you've got some free time, you come to this church, stand in front of that wall, and just pray, just pray, just intercede. God's trying to make a difference in people's lives, and all hell is trying to keep it from happening. I remember in my life, I thought I had forgiven everybody who had done me wrong. God said, no, son, you got them locked in a box. And you know what? God said, son, I want you to write them a letter. 
and set them free. I want you to tell them that you're praying that I bless them. They are blessed. He had me go and buy a bunch of blank keys. I put those keys in that envelope and said, this is the key. This is the key to the box. Even though it's an imaginary box in my mind, this key is symbolic of the box that I've kept you locked up in. Nine letters I had to write. Not one of them was I the offender. Every one I was offended. And, I, you know, I called Pastor Matt that week. And I said, Pastor Matt, I, I'm doing something very difficult. I need you to pray for me that my faith doesn't fail. And he said, Pastor Brad, I can't believe this. I'm having to do the same thing this week. Please pray for me. I'm on my way to Lafayette right now and make something right with somebody. Folks, th- listen. You know why you have an anemic Christian life? Because there's things that are standing between you and the victory. Between you and the thing that God created you to be. As your pastor today, I am encouraging you. Get it out. Get rid of it. Lay it on the altar. Write it down. Turn it upside down. Say, Pastor, this is what I need to change. The changing has begun. The changing is underway. The question is... The question is, will you pull it out of the oven before it's all the way baked? Or will you be patient and let it stay before the Lord? Father God, in the name of Jesus, I know you're touching hearts. I know you're changing lives today. God, I pray right now. Lord, I know the Holy Ghost of God is dealing with people. But Lord, also I know the devil is too. He's trying to keep, he's trying to keep victory from happening. And God, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that, God, you just set them free. Lord, that you just have your way in their lives. Lord, may you walk in victory. God, may victory happen today. May may the process continue as these brothers and sisters in Christ are taking hold of the change. Could you have your way? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you stand to your feet right now this morning, won't you come? Won't you come right now? Change is happening. Will you take hold of it? Will you grab it? Will you embrace it? Will you make a difference today? Won't you come? While they sing. I oh, won't you come? He's the cornerstone. Come build on him. Won't you come? Won't you come? I'm not trying to make you religious. I want you to have a relationship with God. Won't you come? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you today. What are you not forgiving yourself of that God's already forgiven you of? Come write that down. Make a difference. Let God speak to your heart. Darkness hiding his face from you. 
unchanging grace. Don't let it. His grace never changes. In every high and stormy gale, holds within. My anchor holds within the wave. and begin to wind down I just I just want to call your attention to one thing and that's this is also the time that we do offering come and just have this available for you to drop your offerings here um, not just offerings of monetary tithe but offerings of prayers if you look on the back of your um, informational handout there's a place for you to fill it out. If there's anything you need specific prayer about, prayer is something we take very serious here at Family of Grace. Um, we cherish it. We have people praying right now for us in service. They're locked away in a back room praying for us, praying for you and for me. So if you have anything that you would need prayer about, just put it, let that be one of your greatest offering is Lord, pray for this. And give, let your church family be a part of that. Um, thank you for worshiping today. 
every time I look out, I see everyone's faces. It's like coming home again. It's just been a week, but it's like coming home again. Father, bless us today. Bless us as we worship you and we give our offering to you. Let it be acceptable, pleasing to you. Father, let us continue to feel your presence. Amen. Amen. Well, I thank you for being here with us today. What a privilege to worship with you. Uh, if you're visiting, please tear off that information. Let us know that you are here. And we'd love for, to give you more information about our church and our ministry and what God is up to. Amen. Uh, it's been a joy to be here. Uh, bring a friend next week. Uh, let's continue to see what the Lord's up to. Uh, next week, we'll be looking at a sermon, Changing Lanes, Making the Difference. Change begins. Amen. Sing this with us, and this will be your benediction this morning.